it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome to another episode of ESSR Central here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, but not just any episode of ESSR Central. We are firmly on the road to WrestleMania. We made our first steps, or should I say both feet, hitting the floor last night with the Royal Rumble, kicking us off on the road to WrestleMania. I'm joined by Alan McLucas and David Hockney to discuss all things Royal Rumble related. Alan, first off, how are you? I'm knackered, mate. I've not beaten my bed, uh, but... Aye, I'm good on that. I'm good on that. What about yourself? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. I I described to my mate last night that the rumbles are natural energy drinks. Like, the women's rumble and the men's rumble, I didn't need any. But in between, I was sort of waning. And I thought, I wouldn't touch the Red Bull because I've made it to the men's rumble. And literally, as the show went off the air, I went bang, out like a light. Woke up at 8 o'clock on the couch like, mm, mm. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, yeah. last time I slept was Friday night. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for my bed tonight. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. David Altman, how are you? <laughs> uh, well, I was the exact opposite. I was one of those guys, you know, early night because winter bugs still affecting me. So I watched it first thing this morning and then, yeah, it felt much easier than enjoying a bit of libation on the uh, on the evening in question. But um, it was probably for the best anyway. And at least I could pay more attention in the morning rather than uh, middle of the night. No, I was. Uh, I had an alarm set just in case I fell asleep in the matches in between. But before we get started, obviously a massive back catalogue of previews, reviews, interviews, all the news. It's at Suplex Retweet. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. And speaking of at Suplex Retweet, you can find us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. We are on it. Right, let's just bounce right into the Women's Royal Rumble. We'll start as we start as we mean to go on. What we'll do, we'll talk about the first the first five and then we'll maybe we'll do we'll do it in stages of five and we can talk about you know what we liked, what we disliked. So we're kicking things off. Um and I said this last night that Natalia at number one better have been a Look, Ross, we're sorry, but we've got a belter of a number 30 to get you there, right? So, <laughs> but Natalia was number one. I, it, as much as I don't like her, David, a standard bearer for these rumbles. She's someone who's been in every rumble. She's someone who has, I believe she's got like the second longest time in a Royal Rumble. And 
yet someone who always goes the distance in these matches and is well liked by her peers. Yeah, for sure. I think you couldn't pick a more reliable person to start off the match, especially, you know, when the main story was there to be told. But it'd be too obvious to stick stick that central protagonist as, as number one. But yeah, Natalia's got a record of, you know, being a firm, a consistent factor in the Women's Royal Rumble. And as you said, you know, she's been in every single one since the beginning alongside Liv Morgan. So yeah, very reliable pair of hands, you know, despite lasting, you know, no, elimina- no eliminations, third eliminated overall, but a decent rumble time of about just under 21 minutes. Definitely a safe pair of hands. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't have to wait long for the first surprise of the night, Alan. Um, former TNA Knockouts champion Naomi making a return to the company for the first time in almost two years. They were saying April, sorry, May of 2022 was Naomi's last match with the company before her and Sasha Banks departed under um, dubious circumstances, let's just say. Um, And obviously something we're not going to talk about on this show because we're going to leave it for our central. We're just talking about the rumble itself. But leaving under a previous regime, and now that that person is very much out of the picture and the women's division is getting more and more of a spotlight, it was nice that Naomi could come back, not only in her hometown or to her home state, but come back in a a place where she's been in TNA for a year. She's well-liked by the hardcore audience now, and she's came back to the WWE audience. It was nice to see her getting that comeback. Absolutely. I mean, um, if you remember, I think back in October, we seen her in Glasgow for TNA, and it was like a different woman back then because she seemed free relaxed, happy, and you were just seeing that again, but, you know, pardon the pun, with more glow. Um, it was brilliant to see her, I and mean, obviously, you know, a bit breaking kayfabe with Natalia and her at the start of the match, um, and it was the perfect way to get the crowd behind the match as well, just a big shot return. She came, came across really, really well. Her entrance was fantastic, um, and, you know, She's really good in the ring. She's technically sound. Um, and her and Natalia actually gave a good, really good start to the match. And I was really happy to see her back. Um, so, yeah, I can't complain from the beginning. I thought the beginning of this match was absolutely tremendous. It, like, you know, David and yourself already said, you've got Natalia there, somebody strong, dependable. And then you've got Naomi, it's got that technical ability and a bit of charisma and speed. Brilliant. Great start to the match. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the big hits keep on coming, David. Bailey, our eventual winner, coming out mm-hmm. at number three. Um, the third time in history that number three has won the Royal Rumble. And mm-hmm. the second time, um, sorry, the third time in three years that the Women's Royal Rumble winner, sorry, third time in four years that the Women's Royal Rumble winner has come within the first three. That's right, yes. Yeah. So I think... New stats update going into this Rumble. Number 28 was the the most frequent winner for Women's Rumble with Becky and Ronda winning at number 28. But now number three also has two winners in the form of Bailey and Bianca Belair in 2021. So I was a bit um I was a bit curious as to having Bailey, one of the firm favorites for this match, starting off early, because I wondered if they were gonna do a you know a pretty much near bell to bell scenario like they did with Rhea Ripley last year but then I was curious as to see when Becky Lynch would come out because obviously she was uh, the second favourite 
as well. So I was keeping a very close eye on Bailey's progress throughout the match as it went on. But in total, she racked up seven eliminations over the space of 63 minutes, three seconds, which is a new record for longest time spent in a women's rumble. She's eclipsed Rhea Ripley's time and Naomi set the second longest as well. So fair play to both them, you know, for going the distance, running the gauntlet. And, you know, Naomi only got two eliminations, but the purpose of the Rumble is to survive. And Bailey did feel like a survivor in that Rumble, you know, almost almost like a face character you could get behind, despite the fact she was playing a heel. And, you know, there wasn't much collusion with the other members of Damage Control. It was very much all about her and her rise to, to stardom. It wasn't, you know, cheap, short way out, you know, get your stablemates to do it and then chuck them out. You know, it was all her. And I think people have gained a lot more respect and admiration for Bailey's performance overall. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, um, we'll talk about the finish, obviously, later uh, later on in the show. But uh, what David alluded to, I thought was quite interesting, the the lack of uh, help she received from the damage control teammates. You know, Asuka out, uh, eliminated number six. Uh, sorry, can you say eliminated number five? Um Bailey helped try to keep both of them in more than once. They didn't really attempt to help her. And then when Bailey said, what about the plan? They both turned their back and left. They just made sure each other was okay. They didn't check in on um, check in on Bailey. So if rumours are to be believed and it's the return of a face Bailey um, and it's going to be Io Shirai she goes after, then this has been set up very well because... It's quite clear who Asuka and Kyrie Sane see as the leader of damage control, and it's not Bailey. Yeah, um, it was very interesting. But Bailey's always probably been the strongest person in damage control. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and to the extent she doesn't really need anyone to help her and support her, because she's always been you know, she's one of the four horsewomen, you know, and she's always been one of the strongest female wrestlers in the world at any time. So it's not necessarily a a surprise, but at the same time, we consider how she's pushed and supported, you know, Dakota Kai, you know, and the rest of the girls. It was, from a storytelling perspective, quite interesting. She had returned her back and didn't really support her or defend her. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go for that to something you text, Alan, that I think jinxed it. <laughs> When we were watching live, you text uh, the main chat when Bailey came out. That's what we want. All the heavy hitters out early, and then Candice LeRae comes in, and we think, okay, never mind. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, as you mentioned, obviously, you know, the story we're not going to discuss. They had to come out fighting the big hitters right away, and Candice LeRae, yeah, credit, she was good. So there's never going to be MVP or the or star woman in the, the, the rumble, but. She gave a strong performance. She did well. Um, you know, you've got three big heavy hitters already in there with Natalia, Naomi, and Bailey, um, and you've got to get the fans stop thinking about what Vince McMahon's done and concentrate on the actual show. And I think Trips did a f- fabulous job because the crowd were just absolutely eating everything that was coming, and everyone just thought, "Well, Candice is going to be, you know, lamb to the slaughter." But she actually wasn't. She held her ground. She had a few moments, and it was it was decent. I thought. No, considering I've not seen a lot of them, I was quite impressed. Um, and I think, uh, no, the sky is the limit for her. 
whose actual character progression has always been linked with uh, Johnny Gargano and obviously she's had to take time off with pregnancy and what have you so here's hoping her and Indy Hartwell can continue a hopefully find the way, pun intended, uh, towards the women's tag team title. But let's talk about, obviously we talked about things Vince McMahon has done, things Vince McMahon would never do, would be mentioned TNA on a WWE pay-per-view, and David Jordan Grace, the current TNA Knockouts champion, the woman who defeated Naomi at Hard to Kill two weeks ago, coming out with the TNA championship on and everything. It was one of those ones, the, the sirens hit and I'm like, no, it can't be. And it's the crowd. There was no reaction from the crowd until they saw the name. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of went, oh. To be fair, I was the same. You know, when I heard the sirens, I thought, wait, is it a Steiner or something? But then, obviously, her name pops up on the uh, the Ringtron. And I thought, holy crap. Like, that was the, genuinely the most shocking moment of the night. Like, I was not expecting Jordan Grace to, to show up, particularly you know, as a TNA champion under contract with a rival company. I mean, it's just one of those once in a blue moon moments, you know, where hell freezes over. You know, you've got a contracted superstar from another company making a match appearance on a company who's was their biggest rival for best part of, you know, the late to mid 2000s and stuff. It was, it was a genuinely nice surprise to see her treated no differently as well. You know, I think she got a decent reception and, you know, she was able to carry the knockouts championship with her and stuff. It, I suppose, I'm, I don't want to try and compare it to the, the Mickey James return when she held the TNA knockouts title into the 2022 rumble, because I think that almost felt like, a, you know, a, a bit of courteousness and a bit of uh, a bit of goodwill on WWE's part to let her appear. I think Jordan Grace was a genuine surprise. You know, I had no idea there was any discussion between the two of them to be the two companies to be featuring her and stuff. But reception-wise, I think you know the fans were chanting TNA. She got a little. Uh, she got to share pleasantries um, with Naomi again, and you know then they just went straight into the into the action. I think it was a really nice heartwarming moment, but at the same time, you know, it's opening that forbidden door between WWE and TNA once again. Yeah, absolutely. And Alan, as David said, it was a different feel to the Mickey James one. The Mickey James one felt very um, shit, we're short of wrestlers. Um, let's get her back. Ah, she's in TNA. I throw them a bone. And she can have the title. This felt very much, uh, you know, we want Jordan Grace in here because this is someone we see a future in and someone we'd like to do more stuff with in the future. Yeah, I mean, for me, the Mickey one was more of an apology to give her a, a swung song after the way WWE poorly treated her when she was let, let go uh, back in 2021, 2022. Um, but Jordan Grace, I've always felt like has had the potential to go to the absolute top. She never looked out of place. She looked like she just fitted straight in. She was absolutely sublime uh, last night. She deserves to be in WWE. Um, and do you know what? Trips has kept his word. He said for years, we're open for business with any other company. And obviously, you know, he should not be named. He's obviously put his foot down and said no. But now, 
right now that Trips has got a wee bit of creative control and he doesn't have to worry about answering to certain people. Look with the reaction, and it's great. I mean, AEW and TNA and New Japan when they first started the Forbidden Door was absolutely incredible. But I think Tony just got a bit OTT with it, and it just kind of fell flat. Whereas I think somebody like Triple H, who's been around the block a bit, and he knows how to do long-term booking, creative booking, and using it, you know, in the right manner, can absolutely make this a long-term goal. And working side by side with a company like TNA, and plus Scott Demore is a genius. You know, he doesn't get enough credit because he's brought TNA from the verge of bankruptcy and falling apart to now working mm-hmm. with the number one wrestling company in the world. And they put a champion on the second biggest wrestling show in the world. Smart business. She looked great. Helps the company. It was a one-one for everyone. And notice, David said everyone loved it, and she got a, a TNA chance. It was it was brilliant. And you no, know, the people I was with last night, every one of us jumped out of our seats and was actually screaming and chanting TNA because it was absolutely brilliant to see. Brilliant. Um, well cut through the next few because we've discussed um, Asuka and Kairi Sane's impact on the match um, so from going from uh, 6 to 11 Indy Hartwell didn't really make much of an impact in the match goes out with Candice LeRae, Asuka we've discussed uh, Ivy Nile and Katana Chance the only thing I would say about them uh, speaking with Scott during the Rumble last night he said does Ivy Nile and her gimmick of being like you know the brick you know what house not fall a bit flat considering she's in there with both Bianca Belair and Jordan Grace and it's like, yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like Sonia Deville. Eh, no, sorry. I Sonia Deville. I'm the MMA girl. Yeah, well, that's Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler over there and they do it much better than you. <laughs> um, Katana I mean, Nile's not that tall either. I know, she's quite, she's quite wee. She's, she's <laughs> probably wee. But um, Katana Chance, the only complaint I had was that she... Her and Caden Carter, when they, she came out at 13, they both lost the tag titles 24 hours before. You'd have thought they'd been raging. No, they sat and did the Macarena on the ramp before walking down with a big cheese on their face. But um, we finished the top 10 with a big hitter, Bianca Belair, uh, eliminated fourth from last by Bailey, 47 minutes and 46 seconds. You always know, Alan, Bianca Belair is someone in these matches that's going to go the distance. And if someone was going to el- eliminate Jordan Grace, that KOD on the apron by Bianca. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Bianca is, you know, I know there are a few of them, but Bianca is really top three, four female wrestlers in the world. She's absolutely sublime. There's nothing the women can't do. What an athlete, what a performer. Um, you know, if you're going to put it in football terms, you don't get anything less than an eight or ten out of of, uh, you know, Bianca, absolutely solid, no incredible performance. Um, and at one point, you know, I did think, well, maybe she might actually work Nick this, you know, uh, Bailey and, if, you know, we'll talk about it a bit later, with uh, Becky being eliminated quite early on, I thought maybe she might be a dark horse to go head to head with Bailey for the end, but no, she was brilliant, superb. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, David, um, Bianca is always a factor on these rumbles. Did you think she had a chance this year or did you think it was going to be someone else's time this year? I think there was always going to be a chance that Bianca might just uh, sleek in as a as a dark horse pick, given that, you know, the, most of the attention was on the likes of Bailey, Bianca Belair, oh, sorry, Bailey and Becky Lynch, Nia Jax as well. But I think uh, 
you know, Bianca had a much quieter rumble this time around, you know, despite, you know, going 47 minutes plus, like she always does, you know, she's got that endurance factor. She's very much a survivor, much like Naomi and uh, Natalia. But even just with just one elimination, you know, it was a memorable elimination, you know, KODing Jordan Grace on the ring and apron. It was, oh, it looked brutal, but it was definitely one of the most... uh, memorable spots of the entire night. It was great for a highlight reel. And I think the purpose of uh, Bianca was just, again, just lay low, survive to the end, and maybe she could eke out a win within the last four, etc. But, yeah, again, you know, I think Bianca, in this instance, was very much like Natalia has been in past Rumbles. You know, a reliable competitor, a very safe pair of hands, and definitely one you would bank on if... uh, if you were going to bet on, you know, a final four, for example. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let's quickly talking about, obviously, how she eliminated Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace says she hopes to be in the ring again with a few people from WWE. Says it won't be the last time, although Triple H did say on the post show, the term forbidden door is stupid. We uh, shot over at AEW there. Um, but, there's been talk about how this isn't the last time this could be a factor and I'm just looking uh, towards the calendar on February 24th at 10am UK time, WWE will be presenting the Elimination Chamber from Australia now they never take the full they never take the full squad and Smackdown's always pre-taped before those international shows the night before TNA are running a show they're running No Surrender and we could, I'm hopeful we could see some people show up towards, building towards a, a, sorry, TNA's biggest show of the year, a Rebellion. And at the end of April, it would be nice to see, not lesser, because I, I think that makes TNA seem lesser, but people who maybe aren't in the, the main title show feud right now that could be using something to do heading into heading into Mania season and Rebellion after. I'd like to see some more people make the jump over to TNA and maybe work some programmes. And it's a it's an easy thing to accommodate considering TNA tends to do a, a live pay-per-view on a Friday or a Saturday and then they'll take three to four weeks of TV the very next day in the same venue and it allows for people to go across, do some things, and then still be available for WWE 90% of the time. So it would be interesting to see that. Um, we discussed Kyrie saying 12 Tegan Knox had a fun wee spot with Natalia before being eliminated by Bailey. Caden Carter, again, Macarena, why? And finishing out 14 and 15, Chelsea Green and Piper Niven. Let's talk about Chelsea Green and Piper Niven in this match. They were. <laughs> Brilliant. They were absolutely outstanding. Lucy Green's comedic timing, Piper Niven trying to give her the kiss of life and slapping her, and Cody Graves going, Get the smelling salts out. Every time Piper Niven went to hit someone, Chelsea Green ended up in the way. All I could think of was uh, Sideshow Bob with the rakes and the Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) She was just up. Chelsea Green. As a star, we've saw it in Impact, we've saw it on the independent circuit, we've saw it in WWE. She can be the top of the card, she can be 
the bottom of the card and still not lose any credibility. She can be the hot mess, she can be the Karen, and she can be this comedic character. And thank God for her, because we know how good Piper Niven is, the former Viper, as I, as ICW fans. But with the, the whole Dewdrop stink, I think, was still there. You know, it, the name's been dropped for a while, but just the whole Eva Marie and, <coughs> excuse me, Dewdrop stink, it was still there. This has put her in a different light and allowed her to show much more of a character. And long may this tag team continue. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, she was rocking the Queen Boudicca battle axe attire a bit. So I think that sort of shook some of the, the Dewdrop vibe off Viper a bit. But Chelsea Green, as you said, was the star of comedic timing in this match. You know, she comes in, she gets nearly thrown out in five seconds like she did last year. She survived it, nearly got thrown out again, survived again. And then it just became a, a full-on a continuum of cartoon foolishness, but it was done so, so well. You know, whenever Viper goes to get Nia Jax in the corner, you know, she's just stuck in the middle between the two of them, getting squished left, right and center. She gets splashed, she gets sent on. Uh, it was, it reminded me of that Simpsons meme where it was just like, stop, stop, she's already dead. Like, that's... That's the kind of vibe I got from it. And oh my God, it was, um, I mean, sure, it didn't do her any favors in the Rumble, you know, and the commentators were saying, just somebody, please just throw her out and put her out of misery. And I was thinking the same, just like, come on, she's had enough. But oh my God, it was so, so damn funny just watching that all back. Yeah, Alan, uh, this team, God love them. Uh, it, they are exactly what the women's tag team division needs. A, a team that can be serious and also hilarious at the same time. This is the boobies version of Arthurus. <laughs> they would have stole the show with the comedy if he wasn't about, um, which we'll get to later on. But honestly, fantastic. one of the things I, I absolutely annually started crying last I broke is when <laughs> after Chelsea's been squished several times between Piper and Naya and she's just dra- dropping on Piper she can't even stand and Piper slapping her going wake up Chelsea wake up Chelsea she realises she's not working she just keeps slapping her and goes Louis Vuitton's got a seal on Louis Vuitton's got a seal on trying to crack her up honestly I was buckled absolutely hysterical and she played it so well Look, Piper's played it so dry and so sincerely, wake up, there's a sailor. And she's just drooping like a soggy noodle. It was just brilliant. Honestly, and it's just, if it wasn't for our truth, that would have been the comedy moment of the whole show. I, do you know what? The two of them became stars. And I was saying to the people last night, I think in the next couple of years, Piper's going to be one of the main threats to win a rumble. Um, she's got it all. We've seen it, like you mentioned, ICW. She's been invented numerous shows. She's one of the top talents in Scottish wrestling. I don't see any reason why she can't be one of the top talents in the women's division going forward. But um, at the same time, I want to keep her and Chelsea together for a while because they are absolute comedy gold. I think you mentioned um, Piper going off on her own and being a a rumble threat and a title threat. Um, This, ironically... I don't know if you remember the Nia Jax uh, Alexa Bliss feud. This could mm. be what WWE wanted that to be because Chelsea is so adaptable 
whereas Piper Niven is more likable than Nia Jax, I think. And there's more there's more room to go here other than just, oh, she's my fat friend. You know, Chelsea Green is a well-known user of people. It, it's not the tastelessness of the, oh, she's the fat friend. And, you know, WWE being booked into a corner where they have to have Nia Jax win. Otherwise, it's just promoting bullying. You know what I mean? It's um, There's so much more you can do there. You know, Chelsea Green... It, it would be what they wanted Nia Jax and Bliss to be, and it would be similar, I think, more to the Batista Triple H feud, where it was the bodyguard turning on the the using champion, you know. Um, but they would be great together, either as teammates, when long may that continue, and then eventually as rivals. So we've talked about, obviously, the first 15 so far. Excuse me. And this is something I think we'll discuss when we talk about the men's rumble. And it's the pacing of this match so far. Um, You've had the tag team champions in. You've had the eventual winner who's in there. You've had the surprise from TNA. You've had the surprise return in Naomi. You've had your heavy hitters like Bianca Belair in there. And you've had your comedy spots from Chelsea and Piper. Um, Just so well paced this one and I think that's something we're going to discuss about the men's rumble not a good rumble, not a bad rumble but certainly a poorly paced rumble that improved near the end but I think this this women's one so far hell of a, hell of a rumble um, 16, 17, 18, 19 and 20 we had Zia Zelina Vega Maxine Dupree, Nia Jax and Shotzi Blackheart and um, my main issue with Zia Lee was this is a no DQ match, bring your sword <laughs> bring those hook blade swords like Al has in Mortal Kombat exactly bring the swords it's no DQ um, Zelina Vega always looks amazing at these big events um, I don't know what she was cosplaying as but it looked terrifying um, Max I think it was something out of Final Fantasy was it? I think so yeah you may have to ask Grant to double check that I'll get one of the, the video game fellas to, to do that. Mine, my Xbox is from the DVD player these days. Um, <laughs> the, uh, Maxine Dupree came in. Maxine Dupree has looked a lot more improved in the ring with the Alpha Academy, but I think this was a bit too big of a stage for her. Uh, shots to Blackheart at number 20. Scott described that. I described it to Scott as this is what the Disney Channel thinks a punk rocker is. He described it as if Dean from Dexter's Lab went through a goth phase. Um, but number 19, Nia Jax. <laughs> one of the favourites for this match. Um, heading in. And someone who's played the heel character so, so well. She ended the match with eight eliminations. Uh, the most out of anyone. And we'll discuss who she eventually is eliminated by when we get to the final five. But I thought Nia Jax was the perfect fault here. You know, I, I think she's been used perfectly since she returned, quite frankly. She is a bully. She's a, an undercard character that can easily come up to hold the title. But at the moment, they're not doing that with her. But yeah, I really, I've re- I really enjoyed Nia in this match, even if people were a bit fearful she was going to win the match. <laughs> uh, she was the quintessential, you know, bully heel that you know, it was going to take a Herculean effort to eliminate her. Like, you know, it took 11 people to eliminate her last year, but 
Yeah, you could tell by crowd reaction alone she was the most hated person in that match and racking up the most eliminations as well certainly just added to that. She was going around parading right like, um, oh, look how strong and dominant I am. Nobody's going to throw me out the ring, not even if it's like a dozen people. Like, they're not going to do it. And eight eliminations as well. That ties her with Bianca and Shayna Baszler with most eliminations in a single rumble. And Bailey herself, you know, gets seven eliminations. So that's half the field eliminated by just two people, which is pretty mad to think about. But yeah, Nia's role in this match, she did a fantastic job, you know, eliminating, you know, people left, right and center. Uh, some faces, some heels. It was just a, a sheer display of dominance and just making sure that, you know, she was going to go all the way, essentially. Uh, Shayna Valhalla, Meechin, Shotzi Blackheart, Zaya Lee, Piper Niven, Katana Chance, and Ivy Nile all eliminated by Nia Jackson. She played a role well. Obviously, Alan, we're going to talk about the seriousness part uh, with who eliminated her, but she also played a part in the comedy part we just mentioned with Piper and Chelsea, she was a great uh, a great sort of straight man there. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think a lot of people forget about Naya. She's got a fantastic chemistry with so many of the other female wrestlers. You know, you might look at her and think she might not be the fastest or most agile, but she knows how to work a match with just about anyone. She's got that, you know, psychology of wrestling in her, and she's I think she's brilliant, you know, and obviously there's a lot of pressure on her because look at the family she comes from. So it's a, it's a lot of weight on her, you know. And I think she, you know, in general, she she does deliver, especially since she's returned. She's been brilliant. And then, you know, as yourself and David have mentioned, she was absolutely spot on last night. She really was. Um, you know, she just, just ticked all the boxes, everything right, you know, and she looks strong. But again, at the same time, though, the way she was eliminated does show that vulnerability, which, you know, when you're looking for the heel to fall, it was great to see. Absolutely. Um, we get to the final 10, so let's talk 21-25. Becky Lynch to a thunderous ovation. Um, Alba Fire, Sheena Baszler, um, Valhalla slash R-Truth and me, Jen. Um <laughs> I mean, let's just go to that first. Valhalla first. First off, Michael Cole in commentary going, I hope she's wearing the horns. If she's wearing the horns, she's going to win. It's this big, serious Viking entrance with the horns and she's trying to be serious and Michael Cole's in commentary going, yes, she's wearing the hat. She's going to win. She's going to win. And she's halfway down the ramp when R-Truth's music hits. He runs by her, looks confused, says, I'm number 24. Runs into the ring, looks at Naya, looks around and just goes, where the hell are all the guys? <laughs> before <laughs> before Adam Pearce takes him out, he starts calling Adam Pearce Nick Aldis, and he starts, are you telling me there's not one guy in there? Where are the guys? <laughs> and he's having to explain to him, you're not in this, you are. So then Mich- uh, Valhalla goes in and is eliminated in a record-breaking time time of five seconds by Nia Jax. She goes absolutely mental. I thought this should have led to, later on in the night, uh, Ivar stealing Artruth's number. I thought that would have been a nice full-circle story. 
of the night. I thought I would have been funny. Um, but Valhalla raging, um, R-Truth, <laughs> we'll talk about the men's rumble, just, he just keeps going and he just, his comedic timing is just so good. Put that man in the Hall of Fame now. <laughs> Don't notice a, a side piece, put him front and centre, the, the main person, get him in that Hall of Fame. And also for me, give him one run at the WWE title. Give him the title, comedy champion, it's gold, it's printing money. Do it. I, honestly, everyone will be behind him. Absolutely love him. He is just. See, if, if there's somebody that doesn't like our truth, they're the problem. They need to go and get a lobotomy because there's something very wrong with them. Even Hazel, my wife, who doesn't like wrestling, showed her a video and she was howling. She thought it was brilliant. Does he like that? Comedy? But even she was like, oh, he's good. He's funny. I like him. He's just, I, I don't think there's a person alive that doesn't like him. And the man's a legend. Get him in that Hall of Fame because they're literally wasting all this time. Get them, make him a champion. Get him in the Hall of Fame. Do it now. I I couldn't stop laughing. You see, before the show, and I don't know if you've seen this, David. Um, they they were obviously putting YouTube videos and TikToks up about the, the superstars getting to the arena. Mm-hmm. And our truth goes, it's that time again. Happy WrestleMania Day, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, you know, he always confuses it between you know, it's not just match types. He confuses it's. it's also like event days as well but I like how they kept the consistency up later on you know he came out at Valhalla's number of 24 and he was the number 24 entrant in the men's rumble so it's uh I like how you know it wasn't just some random appearance there was at least an element of consistency behind it and uh, that's why I appreciate under you know this new creative regime you know people are actually paying attention to you know where they should be and what their characteristic traits are and our truth just cannot do any wrong, you know, with his role, essentially. He doesn't know where his loyalties lie between, you know, the awesome truth and Judgment Day. And he he's much like Chelsea Green, the way, you know, he um, the way he carries himself. It's such a really good comedic timing, and it's always at other people's expense, in this case, Valhalla's. Yeah, oh, so good. Um, and it was the look he was given Alba Fire, uh, no, Alba Fire, sorry, uh, Valhalla, when she was screaming at him as if, the hell's her problem? As if she is, if it was. What the hell The people in this five we mentioned Alba Fire, Shayna Baszler, uh, Meechin. Meechin and Alba Fire doing pretty much what you would expect them to do in this. Um, Shayna Baszler, a poor Royal Rumble by her standards, eight minutes, 27 seconds, one elimination. I was hoping that the. The Ronda feud would have led to Shayna being skyrocketed. It doesn't seem to have worked out that way. She's now in this charisma-sapping uh, tag team with Zoe Stark. Um, but let's talk about Becky Lynch, number 21. 22 minutes, 29 seconds, one elimination in the match. Uh, she eliminates Chelsea Green. I was surprised in how she was eliminated. She felt like a bit of a... She was... The second favourite, or possibly favourite, depending on where you thought. She didn't really do a lot and was pretty much, it was a, oh, she's eliminated. It didn't feel big when Becky Lynch was eliminated. And maybe maybe that is 
a compliment to the star that Jade Cargill is, to the fact that we had just seen two NXT people make their main roster debut, or the fact that we had seen, uh, you know, people were maybe right behind Bailey. But for me, Becky Lynch's elimination, it felt very... See the way Brock and Bobby Lashley were eliminated from last year's Rumble? It was just sort of, oh, by the way, there they go. That that's what that felt like to me. That's it felt very, very non-eventful. Yeah, yeah. It was I, I think she was. I mean, it was. I, I mean, I thought Becky was personally coming out a bit too early. I'd have, I'd have liked to see Becky come out closer to the end. But you know, it's, I mean, yeah, she's she's done the right thing by get help. You know, you know likes of you know Jade Cargill and others get you know, their, their moment and get their spotlights and what for, but. I just felt very underwhelming from Becky considering she's probably the biggest female wrestler in the world. And like you said, Ross, when she went over, it was like, oh, right, okay, she's away. Which is surprising because normally, you know, if any other rumble she's in and she's knocked out, you're like, oh my God, this is a, it's a ground shake. And you're like, right, who's, you don't actually know who's going to win, whereas it's kind of like, oh, right, so Becky, so Bailey's winning now. Right, okay, cool. And that's kind of how it fit. That was for me anyway. That's just kind of how I thought about it. I mean, it was a bit of an odd one, but at the same time, you know, it could, you couldn't have had anybody else eliminate Becky, I think, if it wasn't like Jade Cargill, Bailey, or maybe Nia Jax at a push, given that, you know, they, they've been feuding for the past couple of weeks, etc. But I didn't think too much about Becky in this rumble, largely because given her interaction with Rhea Ripley, I knew she was going to be okay regardless of what the outcome was. Because if she won, she would have guaranteed the match with Rhea Ripley. But I reckon she could be lined up with possibly winning the Elimination Chamber and then getting the match against Rhea. So I suppose it was a bit underwhelming in the execution, but I think the result will still be the same nonetheless. And she did put Jade Cargill over quite well. Uh, after you know she made such a an effective impact, so Becky will be fine. That's all I can say, really. Oh no, I think she'll be fine. But I'm just looking at the rumble just now. Um, that uh, eleven to fifteen slot. Um, you're Kyrie saying obviously you needed her for the the Bailey storyline. Tegan Knox needed to eliminate Natalia. Um, Chelsea Green and Piper Nevin were needed for the comedic timing. If you swap Caden Carter and Becky about. I think no one would have batted an eyelid because I think Becky is Becky's in the match for longer, so it feels like she makes more of an impact. And, and I know she'll be fine, but to me, it just felt like a bit of a non-plus. But let's talk about the final five and the final five entrants. To me, um, Four really strong ones and one really bad one. Um, 26, Zoe Starks. I said to David Campbell, a resident Trish Stratus fan last night, Trish is a legend on her own, but the fact that she made Zoe Starks palatable for six months uh, is deserves a Hall of Fame induction all on its own. <laughs> the woman has no charisma. Kwaku put her down as the worst-case scenario to win the Rumble. She's got a really cool finisher, but is boring in the ring, is boring on the mic. The character is, hi, my name's Zoe, as a face, or, hi, my name's Zoe, and I'm upset. 
You know, there is no there is no nuance, there's nothing to the character. Um did rack up one elimination before being eliminated by Liv Morgan. But let's talk Roxanne Perez and Tiffany Stratton at 27 and 29. Dave, I'd said to you on the show with Scott leading up to the Rumble that Roxanne Perez, for me, has done everything she can in NXT. I think the Vengeance Day title match on February 4th will be her swan song. Commentary played up the fact, something I also mentioned, that Roxanne Perez is a massive Bailey fan, and Bailey was the reason she got into wrestling. I would not be surprised to see Roxanne Perez on the side of Bailey going up against Damage Control at WrestleMania this year. I think Ro- uh, Roxanne Perez has a big future in WWE, and while she might not be the main event, she will be just adjacent to the main event this year, I think. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, she obviously has that past history in TNA as, as Roxy as well. So she's no, she's not a newbie out, you know, straight into the WWE machine by any means. You know, she has experience under her wing, and she has been a shining light in NXT for a very good while. You know, she's had a run as uh, NXT Women's Champion. I think she was the one that defeated Mandy Rose, I believe, as well, before she left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Booker T is always hyping her up, etc., which I think is probably the best thing he's done as part of NXT commentary. You, I mean, he can be a bit biased as well, given that he trained her and stuff. But that's that's okay. I mean, she's made a name of herself against some of the best that NXT has to offer. Same goes with, with Tiffany Stratton. You know, I've been firmly on the Tiffy train for, uh, for a good while now, especially that feud with Becky that sort of elevated her in the eyes of a lot of people. I was surprised she wasn't caught up to the main roster after that feud. But I think both these women, you know, Roxanne and Tiffany, are in very, very strong positions to say, yeah, NXT completed it, mate. It's time for me to move on to bigger and better things. Especially, I think, when Tiffany cut that promo saying, yeah, this girl's only going one way and that's to the top. So I'm really pleased they both got showcased in this match and I hope both of them get main roster call-ups. Yep, absolutely. Alan, um, you saw obviously the spotlight that Tiffany Stratton got with that Becky Lynch feud with the reaction she got. Um, even after the, the deafening pop that was number 28, Tiffany Stratton still getting a strong showing. And she's another one who's pretty much, she's done everything she can in NXT. And with the main roster, maybe, you know, you're looking at some of the people here, you're excuse me, your Meechins, your <coughs> your Zoe Starks and what have you, your Zyalese, people who are, are good but don't have a lot of character. There is room for a character like Tiffany Stratton on the main roster. Yeah, I mean, I just love the way she kept shouting out to the crowd and just playing up. Um, I thought she was brilliant. And, you know, like, she's the complete contrast to Zoe Stark. She has charisma. You know, Zoe Stark is just a just doer. You know, just monotone, just boring. Whereas Tiffany Stratton, you know, she's proof that she's not just, you know, the blonde bombshell and the good looks. She is a full party. She can fight. She can talk in the mic. You know, she can interact with the crowd. She's good a lot. And, you know, she kind of reminds me in a way a bit like Trish Stratus. She's got it all. She's still quite, you know, no pun intended, raw at the moment. But over time with the right mentoring and moulding, I, I wouldn't be surprised in the next five, six years if you're talking about her at the main event in WrestleMania because she's got the potential to go and do it. She's, I thought she was brilliant. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree there. Um, it is just seeing where these cards lie. Let's talk number 28. The storm has arrived. The deafening pop, the Jade Cargill entrance to the Royal Rumble. I thought she would be, I completely forgot about her because in my pre-match prediction, I was talking to my cousin about it and I was saying she's had the goodwill of being backstage and being in the crowd at NXT shows and the fans have been patient because they know, you know, and this isn't a dig at AEW, but because AEW don't do house shows, if someone wrestles 50 times on TV, they've wrestled 50 times. If you've wrestled 50 times in WWE TV, there's a chance you've wrestled 200 times because you're getting your reps in. And this is what Kevin Nash said about her. She's a star, but she's not got the reps in yet. She needed to go to the Performance Centre, but I thought she would need a showcase in this match, just enough to appease the crowd, to say to the crowd, look, we haven't forgot about her. She's still there. But the crowd didn't forget about her, and oh my god, we talked about we talked about it later. The Nia Jax stare down. Who is going to eliminate Nia Jax? Nia Jax clearly playing the role of the Big Show. <laughs> she did for years <laughs> in the WWE. Who will eliminate the Big Show? Now it's who will eliminate Nia Jax, and it was Jade Cargill and Allen. She did it, no problem at all. Oh, I mean, again, no, I feel like I'm just repeating myself. She's just, just get everything, you know. Her and like, see when she had this, the stare down with Bianca, I remember I was screaming, that's a WrestleMania I mean, event, that's money, take my money. That's all I see, you know. And, you know, she can do it with Naya. She was absolutely sublime. She just didn't put a foot wrong last night and she, she took her opportunity and excelled with it. Absolutely brilliant. And I mean, Tony Khan must have watched that last night and went, shit. I really love that. He really, because everyone loved them in AEW. You know, she was a delicious, huge unbeaten streak. And then they just kind of messed her about and it's like, nah, bye, off you go. Now she's going to become a superstar in WWE. Honestly, like, he must be sitting there going, I've let Cody fall through my fingertips. Punk's away. Now her. It's like, what am I doing wrong? Because honestly, she's going to be, she's got that factor. She has everything to be at the top of the field. She's unbelievable. And, you know, you just look at her, just get the full package. She's brilliant. I mean, I just can't say enough of the pleasantries about her because I just think she's incredible. Absolutely love her. I think, and I cannot wait to see what she does in the future. Definitely. And, um, David, something I think that people talked about, Cody coming to WWE, it was important how they booked him because that would let other people know that it was safe to go back. You know, we've talked about Vince being a bit better before. We've talked on Retropods about how ex-WCW guys were seen as lesser because they didn't come through the WWE system. But with the booking of Cody Rhodes, which we'll talk about later, and the handling of Jade Cargill as the star she is, I don't think anyone can be trepidatious jumping back from AEW to WWE now. Uh, for sure, yeah. I mean, under the helm of Triple H, you know, I think this pretty much sums up, I think, his approach to Jade Cargill in that, for lack of a better phrase, game recognises game. And Jade Cargill is certainly game for a strong WWE push. And it's not like she just jammed 
jammed her down the throats of the WWE fans when, you know, she might not have been ready. You know, they took the time to invest in her, let her grow in the performance center, let her adapt to the WWE style. And people were just patiently waiting for her to make her first appearance. And I'm glad they did it in the Rumble as well, because it, it was a good way to showcase what she was capable of, but not highlight any potential weaknesses straight away. And, you know, she only lasted like 11 minutes, but holy shit, what an impact she made. You know, it takes 11 people to eliminate Nia Jax in one rumble. It takes one Jade Cargill to eliminate her in another rumble. That is just speaks volumes. And the fact that she was responsible along with Naomi in eliminating, you know, one of the favorites in Becky Lynch as well. And then getting Naomi out almost immediately after. That's three eliminations in the space of, what, a couple of minutes uh, that is um, that's some serious, serious impact. And the, the fan response alone, I think it was probably louder than when Jordan Grace made her entrance, because I think everybody was eager to see Jade Cargill finally make her debut. And she didn't disappoint anybody, especially like, you know, from her peers, from backstage. I was so impressed to see how well she did, even though she seemed a bit green towards the end of her, of her AEW run. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. Um, and number 30, it was nice to see her back, given her injury and personal problems. Looking great. Liv Morgan returns at number 30. My only complaint about this one was that they took a bit of time to play the music and they panned in on the crowd, and I was like, okay. Well, you know, like, everyone was happy to see her, but I just thought it was going to be someone earth-shattering, it's like, oh, Liv's back, that's nice to see, you know, hmm. but it was nice to see her back, second year in a row, Liv Morgan has been in the final two, and let's talk about the finish, let's talk about uh, Jade Cargill on the apron, her, Bailey, Liv Morgan, it's like a game of cat and mouse, Liv and Bailey having to team up, because they know that Jade is a stronger competitor, doing Jade absolutely no harm, Jade takes is taken out by Liv, but then as soon as before Liv gets a chance to celebrate, there's Bailey. She takes out Liv Morgan, and Bailey's done it as David mentioned earlier, a record setting, one hour three minutes three seconds. Bailey wins the Royal Rumble. What did you think of the finish, uh, David? I'll come to you first. Yeah, it, it was sort of a rinse and repeat from last year a little bit. You know, you get the three finalists on the apron, and you know it's very much touch and go. You know, one. One false move by one of them and it will cost them everything. Um, I was hoping, you know, Jade would be the last to be eliminated, you know, put a little extra surprise factor in there. But I think having Liv Morgan go out last is probably reflective of what happened last year. You know, she's... Uh, she's. Uh, I think she's um, now got the most runner-ups in Women's Rumble, but has never won the match in the same way that Big Show has now. So she's effectively the new Big Show of the, the Women's Royal Rumble. Not not Nia Jax, but I digress. Um, it did seem a bit sloppy at points. You know, I think the oblivion to Jade was a good way of getting her eliminated, but I don't know. It's It felt like a bit of a damp squib, you know, getting that last elimination. It wasn't as impactful as I'd have liked it, but I think it was more the closing shot of the, the four women along the barricade with the dejected looks on their faces that sort of summed it up. You know, I think it was Liv, Jade, Bianca, and Tiffany Stratton all just looking at Bailey like, God damn you. It was, uh, it almost felt like, you know, Bailey just ran the gauntlet and, you know, 
ever since, you know, starting from very early on, her performance was very much justified getting the second most eliminations and lasting the longest. It It's the definition of what a Royal Rumble winner is expected to, to achieve, I think, and to win over the fans in the process. So, yeah, a bit of a damp squib at the last elimination, but the closing shot definitely sealed it for me. Uh, Alan, your thoughts on it? What, uh, what do you think of the the last elimination and the closing shots? And uh, David mentioned the dejected looks. For me, that's because Bailey did it on her own, and I think the wrestlers knew that. Like, oh, sh- there's nothing we can complain about here. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with David. Everything except for I, I didn't find a, a damp squib at the end. Uh, I thought it was really good, really well done. Um, no. Seeing how the dejected looks, it just shows that, like you said, she doesn't need the rest of that team to carry her. She can do it herself. Um, almost like a lone wolf sort of character. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I said last night, this is the best women's rumble ever. And I also think it's one of the best rumbles, period, ever. I thought this was absolutely sensational. Start to finish, it was done perfectly. Um, you know, the only, if I had to be critical about one thing at the end, I'd have just slightly be like to see a minute, two minute tops of Liv and maybe Bailey squaring off. That would have been that. But at the same time, you know, the match went over the ever. And, you know, although it was a very small card, the whole show, it, you know, you could tell time was coming to the end. You could see a wee bit in the rest's faces, you know, like when you get this over, that sort of thing. But, um, no, I can't really fault it. I thought it was absolutely sensational from the get-go. So, for me, best female Rumble ever. One of the absolute best Rumbles ever. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. I'd go with best female Rumble ever. Um, and certainly a, certainly a top 10 Rumble, you know, maybe a top five. I'd have to go back and actually look at all the Rumbles. But for now... Yeah, we'll say definitely the best women's Rumble for sure. Definitely the best women's rumble. Um, and it stood on its own two feet. No legends this year. Surprise entrance for people that were up and coming. So, yeah, fair play to that. Um, let's talk about the Fatal 4-Way match. Uh, we'll do the, the Fatal 4-Way in the US title uh, sort of quickly. We'll give 10 minutes to each and then we'll talk about the men's rumble. But the two of these matches, uh, the Fatal 4-Way and the... United States title match it had six Smackdown competitors in it and to me when we talk about the Rumble later and we talk about possibly a lack of star power especially on the Smackdown side I think this is maybe a, an ode to that um, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles Ellie Knight and Randy Orton in a fatal four way for the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship I think we all knew Roman was uh, winning here but the fatal four way stipulation Alan it did allow for a bit of a bit of suspending your disbelief. Yeah, I mean, you did have the couple of moments where you thought maybe this was this was going to be it, especially you know when Randy had that incredible RKO on uh, Reigns. No, that's one of the best RKOs ever. Um, you know, it, it, again, it was. I did find it hard to get motivated because you just knew Roman wasn't dropping it, um, and it's. <laughs> 
it kind of, and I says it wasn't, but it was. It kind of felt like the toilet break match because you know he's not losing. So it's like, there's a really a point sitting here watching it. But then you're like, well, star power, you get, you know, for me, you know, the best technical record in the history of wrestling, AJ Styles, you get Randy Orton, the most naturally gifted wrestler ever. Roman, the most dominant champion in modern era, and possibly could be the biggest face in the history of, you know, of WWE. And then you've got Ellie Knight, the hottest guy in wrestling right now. You know, it, had a, it, it should have had a bigger feel and a bigger build, but I think just because you knew the outcome was coming, it just fell a bit flat for me. And, you know, people always pass, they were, they were saying it's a bit hard to watch because you kind of know where it's going. Um, it's just a bit disappointing. Um, and I think even making that match a triple threat and taking one of them out to put them into the Rumble would have spiced up the men's Rumble and it really helped the men's Rumble, to be honest. David, what's your thoughts on it uh, regarding the star power and uh, the actual match itself? Yeah, I think star power was there. They had that completely covered. Uh, it did feel more like a spot fest. I think, you know, there, there was a lot of focus on the announce table, you know, trying to one-up each other with the back suplexes on the on the announce table. LA Knight getting the yeah chance, bouncing AJ's head off it like a basketball. The interference with Solo was as expected, but he did take did take a hell of a crash through the through the barricade as well, which was a pretty uh, pretty decent spot. But if I can sum it up best, it just definitely felt like a spot fest with star power with a bit of a predictable result. So yeah, not much else I can really say other than you know everybody got their moments in there. There was a really good uh, Superman spear punch to to an RKO transition, which is quite cool. Uh, the Stackham Pinham spot could have been redone again. Well, they did the, the Stackham pile them up, etc. That worked fairly well, especially with all three of them kicking out of the pile, which was quite cool. But yeah, I think it was a one and done with uh, Roman spearing AJ for the win. And yeah, we know we're going to get what we're going to get for Mania now. So that pretty much sets everything in stone. Yeah, and it's um, for me, it was a bit of a not a disappointment, but I think you know the bloodline's going to be there, but you know, if you were going to have Jimmy, and, and we know obviously Jimmy was in the Rumble later in the night, but if you're going to have Jimmy and Solo come out, then why not have the OC come out to counteract that? You know, I know there's a bit of tension going on with AJ, that could have shown them, look, we're here for you, blah, blah, blah. Why didn't you... You know, why didn't we make it all, by the way, it's a fatal four-way and it's no interference because Roman can still find a way to cheat to win regardless. But, yeah, it was just, it was one of those, it was what it was and it was fun to watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. Yeah, it was just sort of there, essentially. I do feel with Roman constantly cheating to win. It's he has become an incredibly stale one. I feel like the bloodline is becoming stale. So, you know, if Rock is going to come in quickly and start, you know, plans for WrestleMania, he needs to do it because, again, even during the match, the crowd weren't really up for it. It was quite a flat environment to be in. Um, so I think, you know, they need to act on that pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think... Um I think we'll maybe see Roman in exhibition matches, sort of multi-person tag matches in the lead up to WrestleMania. I don't think the Rock thing's going to happen until 
at least SummerSlam now, I think, as David said. Thank God. We'll at the end of the rumble. Oh, shut up, you. At <laughs> <laughs> the end of the rumble. Um, yeah, it kind of set everything in stone going forward. And, you know, I, I, I don't really mind that. I like to know what we were going on the road to WrestleMania. But um, a match I thought was better than expected. Logan Paul and Kevin Owens. Uh, Logan Paul was a champion in WWE. It still feels feels weird to say, but um, not only just a, a tournament winner going up against a champion here, but there was an actual storyline going in. You know, the the whole thing with the cast, the whole thing with uh, Sammy bringing Logan to WrestleMania and Kevin Owens embarrassing him. It, it made this match go from just a oh, well, you're Logan Paul and I don't want you as a champion in WWE. It made it improved it, David, from that to an actual story and the decks being set against Kevin Owens and making him a much more likeable challenger. Yeah, this was a very enjoyable match to watch, not just because of the the in-ring work, but I I like how they referred back to WrestleMania 37 uh, when there was the interaction between the two of them at the end of the Owens-Zayn match. It's Logan's Paul's had that affiliation with WWE since all the way back then but has only been competing for about 18 months to two years now and he's already US champion it's Logan Paul is I've said this before you know he's one of those guys you know he's like Marmite you know you can love him or hate him depends if you're a follower of him on social media etc but yeah regardless of how you feel of him feel about him his in-ring work has has been really really good you know, everything from, you know, high-flying spots to striking action. He's not got that power game about him, but he doesn't need to. You know, the guy's a charisma magnet in a lot of ways. And it was good that he, you know, he took a bit of a beating at first, uh, within the first few minutes against Owens. But as soon as he targeted that injured hand, that's when, you know, that's the story running throughout, etc. Um Yeah, I, I was very pleased with the kind of stuff they did here. And, you know, I think the... the the disqualification loss from from Owen's perspective, I think it just fuels him even more to to go after Logan on a on a future show, maybe elimination chamber match, perhaps possibly a no disqualification stipulation going forward. But I think it extends the feud out and it gives Logan something to do, you know, before WrestleMania. Yeah, I agree. I think you could easily have a, a rematch in Australia, obviously. Alan Logan Paul is someone WWE brought in to get the mainstream appeal and to a rematch in Australia after a really creative and fun finish to the match yeah it's already a big elimination chamber feel that much bigger I don't know a lot of the Dutch sheets seem to be pointing this is going to be the Wrestlemania match so I don't know if it will make the chamber um, like just talking about the whole thing it's a great it's a very, it was a, a good match it's a really interesting rivalry but Owens to me is a main eventer he's a, he's a headliner he's not a mid-carder guy but however if you've got somebody that's quite again no pun intended wrong with regards to you know Logan Paul there's really nobody better to put him to pair him with to get that elevation pushing a bit of experience with and KO um, however it just, it, again, no negative was really, I, I just, you just knew it was going to finish. You just knew he was the going to win. Um, but, you know, 
the sky is the limit for Logan. I mean, there was originally one point of talking about him winning the Rumble, yeah, which I'm glad he didn't. Um, but it was a very enjoyable match. I don't, but I don't see it going to Australia. I can see Logan Paul being in Australia and and KO and maybe KO interfering in a match that Logan Paul got, but I don't see it being the match. Uh, elimination chamber. Just all signs came to see me point to me towards WrestleMania at the moment. I just kind of feel the elimination chamber is just going to be a big house show. Other than whoever's going to be facing Seth uh, WrestleMania, oh, it's just going to be a house show. I don't really expect much from it. It'll be interesting to see because <clears throat> so last time they went to Australia, obviously that's how it was treated, but. Obviously, under Triple H, these big international shows, UK, Puerto Rico, heading to Germany, France for backlash, they haven't been treated like that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where we go for there. But let's move on to the men's Royal Rumble now. And it's a Royal Rumble looking back with hindsight. Um, I think we can all agree it had a good final six. I think we can all agree the right person won and I think we can all agree that there was star power in there but it was it was a rumble last night I think we were all left a bit disappointed with just with the the pacing the lack of maybe legends in it and it's certainly just Alan going up against the women's rumble earlier on the night it was it, it had a lot to live up to and I don't think it did Totally agree with um, you. know, that women's role was a, was a hard act to follow. Um, and, and to be fair, you know, you give it a really good strong start, just like the, the women's rumble. You get the Usos out facing each other. I mean, just for personal sweep wise, I was raging because I had to race wall of one, two with Jay, and he came out three. So I was a bit annoyed at that. Um, but it, it had the potential of a really good start, but it just didn't live up to expectations and I know they kind of followed similar formula for the men's as the women's but it just it had no spark to it no energy um, and it, it, was, it was more disappointing than anything else to be honest was it annoyed it because again there's no sort of no old time legends coming in I know there was a big fear about Hogan apparently going to come in and have a moment you know I'm glad he didn't but it was just, it was a bit, I kind of felt it was a bit of an egg in the face moment. You know, it, I'm happy with the final two, but I was disappointed at how the final two had really no chemistry. I thought it was, it was a bit, oh, hurry up, why don't you just throw the one over? It's just, come on, let's get this going. You know, it's five of them on here. So I think it was disappointing. They didn't have that energy and excitement. Um, but it's not the worst from what seen. Certainly not the best. <coughs> Sorry, and before we dive into it, Dave, what were your thoughts on the on the match as a whole? Just um, spoiler three thoughts of the match as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely took a while to get going. I think starting off with Jay and Jimmy was an interesting choice of booking. I was hoping that uh, wouldn't interact more. You know, maybe have a standoff until maybe somewhere in the middle. But I think for what it was worth, I think it was a it was an interesting way to open. But I think. The, the next feud to come out probably wouldn't have made much of an impact, you know, given the feud is Jay versus Jimmy there. So having just the two of them alone felt maybe a bit awkward once the third person came out. Um, but yeah, 
I think it was, uh, it felt definitely more like a spot fest in a lot of ways. You know, some of the other lower card feuds felt a bit rushed. Uh, don't think enough people got enough time to really elaborate on their feuds, etc. But it got really good towards the end, you know, especially when you had your, your favourites uh, to win, basically make up the last half a dozen or so people. I think that's when people started to really pay attention, but everything else in the middle just felt a bit of a a bit of a, a meshed together blob that didn't really have enough time to polish those undercard feuds. I think something we touched on um, during the Fatal Four Way match, which was um, guys like Orton, AJ Styles, LA Knight, and Kevin Owens all being in title matches. It's. Uh, it does take away four very big names, and I think it did show that over on SmackDown, there's not a lot of um, star power at the moment. Yeah. Like, um, you know, the last person to come out from SmackDown was Austin Theory at number 13. Everybody else was Raw, NXT, or free agents. And, like, that, that tells a story in itself. Um, Scott did with me round about number 11 saying, stop ruining my rumble with your SmackDown undercard feuds, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was very accurate. Um, ironically enough, we talked about pacing in this rumble. Um, I think just moving a few people around would have been a lot better. You know, we we have Karrion Cross and Bobby Lashley in there. Um, we have, um, you know, obviously the, the feud that they're going through. I think the two of them brawling and eliminating each other almost immediately, leading to a big six-person brawl at the start of the Rumble. Could have really added some life to it. You could have then still had Grayson Waller at number three. He does, oh, I'm going to do the Grayson Waller effect. Who's number four? And then you do Jey Uso. Then you do Jimmy Uso. And it's sort of, you're still doing the show the same way, but you're just making certain tweaks around the place to, to give the thing, as Alan said, a bit more of a spark because it really didn't have that spark. But it did start off that way, obviously, as we mentioned, uh, Jimmy and Jay. And David, I'm with you. I think I wish they had more of a more of a showdown together. I was hoping mm-hmm. that Jimmy would eliminate Jay simply because, well, let's be honest, Jay's went over to Raw and has lit up the place, whereas Jimmy is still playing third fiddle behind Solo, mm-hmm. the Roman Reigns. Yeah, you know, he needed I mean, his something. story. His story throughout the Rumble was trying to make alliances. Throughout, you know, he was getting offering a yeet, and almost every time he was getting no yeeted. So, and then he just gets unceremoniously eliminated about thirty-five minutes after. It was just felt like another elimination. It wasn't like you know something impactful. You know, like Jay super kicks him out, or you know, it was um, something fluky out of nowhere. It just felt like you know just another body in the crowd. I just kind of feel like, see, Jimmy, if you look at the two, so Jay's got that natural charisma, he's got that it factor, Jimmy doesn't, and Jimmy just seems to try too hard, and like last night, like you mentioned, David, with the, the whole neat gimmick, and you try to get, you try to get over with the comedy, it just didn't work, it just was really flat, and it just seemed really forced, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I did laugh, you know, when he did try the last time and he got scalped away and he fell. I thought that was kind of funny, but the rest of it, the whole time, it just, 
felt really forced and it just there was no organicness to it. It was just really quite poor. I was really disappointed in Jimmy because oh, I think overall over the years Jimmy's been the stronger Uso, but in the last you know two three years Jay is just so far ahead of him there. It's it's not even close. Sorry, I'm stuck. Oh, man, my microphone is muted. Completely here, folks. Oh, <laughs> I mean, just one other thing. I've discovered what uh, Zelina Vega's uh, entrance outfit was. It was from Gundam Strike Freedom. Oh, there you go. That was more interesting than anything Jimmy's done. So that tells you where we're at with Jimmy. <laughs> number three, Grayson Waller, as we referenced, first eliminated. Number four, our, our really only surprise... Uh, of the men's rumble, Andrade uh, returning to WWE. I didn't realise how long it had been. Three and a half years, they said on commentary, since Andrade had left the WWE. Um, yeah, he left during the Thunderdome era, I think, you know, mid-2020, I think. He's been part of uh, AEW ever since then, uh, recently feuding with Miro before returning to WWE. It was everyone's confused face, and then they realised... Wait, that's it, Elida Lowe. Oh, and it was it was amazing that the mask, the presentation, and just him being back in there. 29 minutes and 59 seconds he lasts in the match before being eliminated by Bronson Reed. Carmelo Hayes, um, I really enjoyed him being in the uh, Rumble match. I think they're doing what they should be doing with a lot of NXT superstars. They're slowly building him up on SmackDown, giving him a, a sort of Passive feud that looks like him and Trick Williams will be going up against Grayson Waller and Austin Theory. Um, Carmelo Hayes, for me, the absolute sky's the limit for him. Um, and yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love Carmelo Hayes. Guys, thoughts on Carmelo? Yeah, like Melo just does not miss. The guy's been, you know, he's been a rising star ever since he won the breakout tournament in 2020. He's went from strength to strength wins the North American title, he unifies it with the Cruiserweight title, and then he becomes NXT champion by defeating Braun Breaker last year. Like, he he keeps going from stre- strength to strength. The guy's charisma for days. He's got an excellent gimmick. He's got an excellent chemistry with Trick Williams. And, you know, I think all he needs is, is just a tag team title to his reign, and then he can call himself uh he deserves to be an nxt triple crown champion in a lot of ways but he is definitely main roster material even if he's just sort of scratching the surface a bit with austin theory and grayson waller but definitely a a very very competent you know maybe united states or intercontinental intercontinental champion level performer yeah absolutely any hey um i'm in trick williams i wouldn't be against the two of them being the team to take the titles from the Judgment Day uh, at WrestleMania. I would absolutely love Trick to come up to the main roster. I think he's he's done more than enough on the time he's been on his own in NXT to get to the same level that Melo is at, even possibly even higher with the way he's over with the crowd at the minute. Uh, so the two of them, yeah, absolutely would love to see them as a tag team on the main roster. Let's talk number six to number ten. Um, so obviously you guys were at Clash of the Castle back in August of twenty sorry, September of twenty twenty two when Dominic Mysterio turned heel. And if I told you that a year and a half later you're looking at the rumble, Nakamura, Escobar, Cross, Dominic Mysterio and Carlito 
if I told you that the only person people were excited for or gave a reaction to was Dominic Mysterio, you'd have looked at me as if I was stupid. He lasted 33 minutes and 19 seconds in the Rumble before being eliminated by CM Punk. He is just going from strength to strength to strength. And again, we talked about people's sky's limits for it could be getting him out of his comfort zone and away from his dad, Alan, is the best thing that's ever happened to him. Oh, the guy's just, he's superb. You know, he's the, he was a he was a decent face, right? But he's born to play a heel. Like Guerrero, like, I know he's obviously modern, he's looking stuff like off Eddie Guerrero, but I always thought Eddie was a pretty good heat face, but an absolutely phenomenal heel. Mm-hmm. He's just he's he's got that natural charisma for the heel, and you know he doesn't even have to speak. The heat he generates is just brilliant. You know, again, like I mentioned earlier, he's got that psychology of what of how you work a crowd. I always I've always thought the best person in the history of wrestling for working a crowd was Triple H. You know, when he I was looking to think I was the greatest heel ever in the wrestling because. You get under your skin, you literally get through the screen and strangle. Like, and Dominic does the same thing. He's brilliant. Um, you know, the only for me the major disappointment in this section of wrestlers we're talking about. WWE have really mistreated and poorly missed the boat with Nakamura. It's a travesty why he's how he's in this lower mid card at best. This guy is the, one of the guys from New Japan. He's a main eventer. They pushed him to the sky, and Vince kind of screwed him. This guy needs to get back up to the top because he has money. He's brilliant. But, yeah, the, uh, if, just to go back to what you said, if you told me back, you know, on my birthday back then, that Dominic Steele was the one to watch, I would have thrown, I'd have taken your drink off you and went, get your bed. Um... David, Alan's talking about Shinsuke Nakamura, obviously, uh, in the last year or so, has went through a bit of a renaissance, but unfortunately for him, he's not been the guy at that time. You know, he wasn't the guy for Money in the Bank. Um, He was a good feud for Seth Rollins, pulled out two great matches with Seth Rollins, but obviously Seth Rollins have decided to keep the title on him. And then the next feud he runs into, it's Cody Rhodes. You know, the guy who, you know, we've heard for a year and a half, he's going to finish the story, finish the story. I think Nakamura, what he needs right now is a clear path on the road to WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Possibly built up to... But at the moment, obviously, I don't think he's the guy to take the title from Gunther. And I don't think he's going to be the guy to take the title from Logan Paul. So it's... It's between a rock and a hard place for Shinsuke at the moment. Yeah, he's um, he's sort of got lost in the shuffle a little bit, you know, at the behest of guys on the roster, which I think the fans have taken more of a liking to. You know, the guys like, you know, Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton coming back. You know, he's made waves, etc. But again, Shinsuke has just sort of felt like a, a bit of a gap filler in the last few months, you know, Rollins needed a feud for a couple of months for the World Heavyweight title. Shinsuke was the guy. Cody Rhodes needed to needed a stopgap between War Games and the Rumble. Nakamura was that guy, and they did a, do a couple of matches on the on the house show circuit as well. I think as part of the holiday tour. But 
yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling to see where Nakamura goes next because he does have a very, very good character, especially with some of the promos he's been cutting in, like Japanese and using the the manga animation as part of it. Like they know they've got some really good stuff with them. They just don't have any direction at the minute, and it's just a real shame to see him in that position, considering you know he was on top of the world like a few years ago in main eventing WrestleMania with AJ Styles. But I think that just comes down to you know he was. He was given every opportunity in the world, but he was just severely mishandled in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, if someone else lost in the shuffle, let's talk 11 to 15. Uh, number 11, Bobby Lashley, lasting 1 minute 34 before being eliminated by Cross. The brawl then breaks out between them. That's two years in a row that... Um, Bobby Lashley's combined time is less than 10 minutes. Um, and amongst us, Ludwig Kaiser, Austin Theory, I think very much uh, filler. Finn Balor, um, a Triple H guy, always nice to see him. few cool spots before being eliminated by Braun Breaker. But I'm going to put my pal Chrissy uh, on, on blast here because number 15, Cody Rhodes, comes out and I get a text. Ah, number 15, he's not winning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? thing but I thought oh, if he's going to win this year he's going to have to go it's not number 30 this year he's got to go through the field and in fairness he went through about three quarters of the field 43 minutes and 21 seconds this year before eventually winning but um, yeah this was I think Alan when we started to get a bit annoyed the pacing of the match not the best and something WWE has been guilty about in previous years, which is keeping the best for like the the final six. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got on wrong keeping. You no, know, your big your big hitters. You no, know, at the end of the match, but spread them about, put them through the match. You know, that Cody fifteen, fair enough. You know, not maybe not even, but fun to me is a big hitter. You know, fair enough, middle of the pack, but. Out with J, there really isn't a big hitter from 2 to 14. They're all mid-card, there's a lower card. There's, it, it really felt it, you know, if you were going to put, you know, I don't know, I'm just going to do last year, through 20, you could have quite easily put through at number 5, in place Carmelo Hayes, you would expect through to be near the end. You know, you would have an issue with a problem that. You know, the same with even Punk. You know, you'd maybe put him maybe at 10 or something. You know, just break them up a bit. And you, that way, you still get the big pop. You still get the draw of having to watch, you know, the people you want to see, the big hitters. And then when they get to the end, you've got the crowd on your side because you've had them, you've dragged them through this journey and you've got to the end. And then this is where the crowd just go for it. And... You seen it last night, you know, like they just left everyone to the end, and then it was like, all right, cool. Whereas they've been dragged through 45, 50 minutes of something they really weren't enjoying, and it just didn't feel, you know, because Jack mentioned it quite a lot, you know, the crowd really need to be there to support the Rumble, and they weren't, the crowd just weren't behind it, so they need to be splitting, um, you know, the big hitters. So that's where the women's match was so much better, because you had a lot of big hitters at the start, and you've got like, you know, Bianca, remember 10, 11, you know, and then you get Becky and start the 20s. They break it up a bit, but all the big hitters still meet at certain points. 
this is what the men's match really, really missed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, David, I, I think as well, um, we talk about um, the crowd needing to be there. As Alan mentioned, they had been dragged through about 40 minutes of nothingness to get mm-hmm. to eventually what was a good finish, but they had to bring them back around. Yeah, it was... Um it was pretty much a 45 minutes of dragging their feet, you know, make sure everybody got out and everybody got their spot. But it wasn't until the last little bit where everybody realized, okay, it's definitely one of the six people that have been advertised on the poster. That's going to be winning this thing. And I think having Cody come out at 15 as well was quite interesting. You know, it sort of puts them straight down the middle, you know, it, it gives them a chance to go, go the distance a little bit. I think he lasted the longest, the, the second longest after Jay or so. And he got joint most eliminations tied with Bron Breaker. It was, again, you know, he showed, you know, a very good showing in terms of longevity and eliminations, etc. But obviously the the women's rumble was just paced that much better. It made, it made it clear, you know, who was standing out the most, who people wanted to win most often. And it was, there was very much a split between, you know, people wanted Cody, people wanted Punk. Some wanted Drew, some wanted Priest. It was very much more spread out about who wanted who, and it didn't really gel in such a way that the crowd got into such a, a manic state about, oh my God, this is so exciting, etc. And the final six, you know, the 3v3 spread across the ring, I didn't feel the same energy as I did in 2018 when it was the ruthless aggression era versus the new generation. That It didn't have that same vibe, but I think that's kind of what they were going for. It just didn't click this time around. I think probably because we as fans had the expectation in our head, okay, we, we know who's most likely to win. We have an idea of who's gonna who it's gonna come down to. And maybe WWE nonchalantly might have given away the result a bit too soon and a bit too clearly. So we'll go from a uh, sixteen to twenty. A uh, Bronson Reed, I thought had a good showing of himself. I always enjoy uh, having the ring. I think he is an absolute beast. I think um, if you haven't had a chance to watch his run as Big Jonah and Impact during his hiatus from WWE, he is an absolute monster. He had a great match uh, between uh, with him and Josh Alexander. But yeah, just there's something missing and I think it's a case of um, not enough titles at the minute and I know people roll their eyes at that but perhaps a title a TV title or something like that could be there for guys like this because it seems like there's guys who are in the main event scene then there's the mid card and then there's people trying to get into that mid card and falling out of the mid card because there's not enough there for them and when you're doing stuff like having Roman off TV for months at a time and having Logan Paul off for months at a time. The lack of a title scene does hinder a lot of progression for people and I do feel that way with Bronson Reed. Uh, Kofi Kingston, number 17, not a great rumble for Kofi. Uh, unlike previous years, he 
Eliminates Ludwig Kaiser and is eliminated in three and a half minutes. Gunther, one of the favourites in the field, the long reigning IC champion, we'll discuss him in a minute. Ivar, I honestly thought he should have been, I don't think he should have been in the Rumble, I think he should have stole our true spot at 24. That, <laughs> that, I was good with that. Uh, and finally, number 20, Braun Breaker. He was in there for five minutes and 19 seconds, eliminates four guys, he eliminates... Finn Balor, he eliminates Carmelo Hayes. Uh, sorry, he eliminates Finn Balor. He eliminates Jimmy. Jimmy Uso, yeah. I was, I was looking for that name now. Thank you. Okay. He's fucking Omos, and he eliminates Ivar. He looks like someone who is primed to be on that main roster and be a champion within a month because. Obviously, we know the story uh, after uh, WrestleMania weekend 2022, uh, sorry, 2023, he was meant to uh, lose to Ziggler. Ziggler was meant to stay on NXT. He was meant to come up. The storyline was changed. He holds the title for another year. And it just seems at this point they are dragging their feet with him because he lost at WrestleMania weekend last year. Uh, sorry, uh, the 2022? 22, yeah. 22, yeah, he won it back, then loses it at 23 this year, at WrestleMania weekend 2023, and he's just kind of hung about for a year. He's in the Dusty Cup final uh, next week at uh, Vengeance Day, and for me, he is someone who has done it all. You saw the reaction he got, you saw how good he looks in the ring and how he's improved in the ring. For me, he's someone... He's outgrown NXT and he's outgrown it long ago. Massively, yeah. Like the guy was made to look like an absolute monster in the Rumble. And there were rumors circulating out that, you know, I think Braun Breakers sort of filled the gap that Brock Lesnar was supposed mm-hmm. to fill. But because of the allegations and stuff, it sounded like he was pulled from the spot. And Braun going on that rampage, it's it's a very good way to basically highlight his NXT character as a heel. You know, the guy was an absolute beast in the uh, Iron Survivor Challenge, getting three points, three pinfalls in 40 seconds. That's the kind of pace I saw here with the Rumble match. You know, he was delivering spears left, right, and center. He gets rid of Finn Balor, who almost felt like an afterthought in the Rumble, you know, despite being a key member of Judgment Day. He gets rid of Jimmy Uso also pretty nonchalantly, you know, after, you know, he's been doing the, the whole yeet, no yeet angle right from right from the word go. And I think the stare down with Omos was pretty cool as well. Uh, but I don't know, it just felt like, I felt like it could have gone a bit longer. But I suppose they had to make do with what they had, you know, just to balance out what they had with the allegations and, you know, Brock allegedly getting pulled and Braun fills the spot. But, Getting eliminated by Dom Dom as well. That was uh, not entirely sure how I feel about that, but I'm just pleased that Braun was made to look really, really strong, particularly eliminating some very big, noticeable names in the process. Uh, Alan, we've talked about obviously the pacing and how this wasn't a great Rumble match. I think Braun Breaker improves it because if Brock comes in and is in for five minutes and has that spot, it's a we've seen this before. Braun Breaker, it's a highlight on it's a spotlight. Sorry, on someone new. It's moving on from the same old people and bringing in someone new. And I think that's 
for the five minutes he was in there, he certainly gave this rumble a shot in the arm it desperately needed. Absolutely. I mean, the only thing I don't agree with, right, and I know everyone's speculating, I don't believe he was into the place Brock. I'm convinced McAfee replaced Brock because that was a complete waste when he came in. It just didn't work. It didn't fit. It was just weird. But that's just my personal opinion on it. But Braun was... He was brilliant, you know, and you're right, he, he was the shot that the, the match needed. Um, I think the problem they have with him, they don't have anyone they feel he can click with. I mean, I, I th- the thought of having Brock in a match, you know, before these allegations is money, because you've got two guys very similar, strong build, it came, and they're both suplex kings. It'd be really interesting to watch, as long as they don't just make Brock squash him, they give him a proper match, good 15, 20 minutes. End to end, I think it'd be brilliant, but he definitely helped this at this point because it was really dragging. And the fact as well that he's over a foot smaller than almost and he just chucked a big man like he was a sack of toys, you know, it was brilliant to see. Um, he really did carry this right up until you know, number 24, which we're going to talk about shortly, because at this point. It was a struggle to keep watching. Um, so he was great in that aspect, but just one personal point, I don't believe he was there to replace Brock. I, I think, because he's one of the Trips guys, I think he was naturally going to be in there. I think Brock would have been uh, part and we'd have got the square off that we were hope, but I personally would love to have seen by just having Brock. Um, I know what you just said about you don't know how you feel about Dom eliminating him. I love it because I think it gives him a feud as soon as he comes up. And mm-hmm. just the, the natural charisma of Dominic carries that feud. I think that's a WrestleMania match and I think that's two guys for the future getting a big spotlight. But um, 21 almost, we already discussed. 22, Pat McAvey. I think, um, I think this works if it's a good rumble. But I think because we had already seen so many wasted entrants... It felt like another one, and the crowd just didn't buy it. And poor JD McDonough speared into oblivion by Braun Breaker before Arthur throws him in at 24. And then number 25, the Miz. I just kind of felt sorry for all these guys coming out because almost aside and Pat McAvey, the first pop he got, we are getting into the final stages of the Rumble. We know the big names, the likes of Punk and McIntyre and Priest, are still there to come in so that the people's expectations run away and when people like this are coming out, even though they are solid people, it's just a case of a poor rumble did these people dirty It was all the you got to have peaks and troughs when it comes to telling a good rumble story it was mostly troughs in this time around, you know, it started off well with Jay and Jimmy, you know, that was a good peak point. But then again, as we said before, it didn't really peak until the last half dozen came in and number 30 came in as well. So, yeah, there was a, definitely a lot of low points in that match and everything just didn't really flow as well. A lot of things were poorly executed, but some of it was out of the company's control in a lot of ways, you know. So JD McDonough obviously has the unfortunate record of... Uh, you know, joining Xavier Woods, Titus O'Neil, Santino, and the Warlord, you know, lasting less than five seconds in a rumble. Um, 
I think R-Truth's spot in the men's rubble was quite cool. You know, he came out at number 24 in the correct match this time and he was treated like a tag team match. You know, Gunther's got Dom in the in the sleeper hold and he does a hot tag before coming in. I thought that was really cool. You know, it adds that extra element of uh, character and comedy to what was a pretty dull rumble by that point. But then Priest, obviously, being the master heel that he is, Senor Money in the Bank, uh, he just goes straight for truth, knocks him down, throws him out. That's that's really, really good heel work on his part as well. Although I do wonder, people were saying as well, like, you know, why should he be in the Rumble if he already has the Money in the Bank contract? But the commentator summed up best, you know, why have one guaranteed title match when you can have two, you know, even if the first one doesn't work out? And they actually made it seem like logical sense to have Priest uh, come in the rumble, you know, as one half the tag champions, but also as uh, Senor Dinero in El Banco. Um, I did like Miz and Truth's segment where Miz went to throw uh, um, Dom, Arthur stops him, he says, we're the judgment day, and Dom goes, <laughs> yeah, he's in the judgment day with me. <laughs> uh, Damien uh, Priest, who's different, number 26. Then the big four, the four big hitters, um, CM Punk, number 27, Ricochet, number 28, uh, Drew McIntyre, number 29, and number 30, the return of Sami Zayn. Um, number 30, I think the crowd didn't do anything for it. Sami Zayn is over in every arena he's in at the moment. Uh, the honorary Oost thing has made him one of the most over guys in WWE. It's continued through his tag title on KO and his singles run on Raw. But the crowd just went into it at this point and it just, it made number 30 feel like a damp squad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as impactful as previous years because normally you save the number 30 spot for a really groundbreaking entrance or one that's been advan- been like announced in advance. It almost felt like an early 2000s rumble where I think uh, Booker T or Rikishi entered at number 30. So again, it was just felt like another guy on the roster that you know was going to be there. It Definitely have the same impact. I actually even forgot Sami Zayn was off for a good while because of what Drew did to him. So, yeah, it, it wasn't as impactful as some of the other ones. But then again, I could say the same about Liv Morgan, who, you know, even though she's been away for some time, it didn't feel like an impactful number 30 entrance, unlike what Jade Cargill would have been if she was number 30. I think that would have made more impact. So... It is a bit difficult to say, you know, how to describe that number 30. But when most of the guys in the Rumble are guys on the roster or, you know, in some ways affiliated in a lot of ways with the main roster, Andrade obviously being the surprise return. It's, um, I suppose it comes back to the argument, you know, do you need to have nostalgia acts in the Rumble or can you just work with the roster with what you've got? And there's two sides to every argument, but... I suppose one nostalgia act would have definitely shook things up a bit. But I guess nobody was expecting, you know, to WWE to maximise the full roster for the first time in God knows how long. I think um, I'm a stickler for these things. I think if you've got a belt, you shouldn't be in the rumble. I'm sorry, you you just you shouldn't. You know, what's wrong with the belt you have? It's I, I know I sound like a maw. Trying with the trainers you've got. <laughs> Um, but I, I don't think I don't think Priest should be in there. I know that they did make a lot of sense, but and I do think you need. I think 
Braun was a good uh, Braun Breaker and Andrade were good surprises, but I think you need one one or two legends sprinkled in there, and the Pat McAfee one. I think you call an audible. You can tell how a rumble's going. You you don't do that. You don't have him come in and waste a spot like that. I just I don't think that was a smart thing to do. But um, you know, it wouldn't if it was wasted. See if he went for it with Omos and Breaker, and they just threw him out. I think that could have been a fun comedy spot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's. That, that felt wasted but the finish of the match uh, final six so we've got Cody we've got Punk we've got Gunther Drew McIntyre Sami Zayn and Damian Priest Sami Zayn getting some revenge on the Judgment Day putting out Damian Priest but then three minutes into being back Drew McIntyre just throws Sami Zayn over as if it's nothing um, it makes David Campbell the most unhappiest person on the planet <laughs> I would have been happy if Sami Zayn got a good showing there but I don't think this did him any favours. Number 30 and lasting less than three minutes in the match. Um, Drew being thrown out by CM Punk, the stare down they had after. Um, a lot of talk about who's going to face the world champion. What do you guys think of a Drew McIntyre CM Punk match without the world title on the line? Money. I'd like to see that. That would be phenomenal money. You know, Drew has a legitimate beef with Punk from back in the day. It's a compelling storyline. They've already had that tense face-off in Raw. I'd be quite happy to have Gunther face uh, Seth. I think that'd be an incredible match as well. But I think Punk and, you know, Drew can really just tear that house in. Just go, you're going over, you're no... Taylor Houston, just let them go. The two of them are architects when it comes to manipulating the crowd, telling a story, and getting big pops. They can do the lot, and honestly, I think it'd be an absolute... It could probably end up being match of the WrestleMania if they do it. Oh, no, I wasn't thinking having them at... I wasn't thinking of having them at Mania. I think they could do, like, a number one contenders match, or maybe put them both in the Elimination Chamber with maybe four other guys, and then the winner of that match goes on to face Seth Rollins. And then you get the Punk-Rollins match, which I think has been heavily rumoured for for some time. A couple of outlets have said that Punk-Rollins is is set in place for WrestleMania, but obviously, you know, plans can change on a dime, you know, just maybe circumstances out with a lot of people's control. Rollins will be resting up with that uh, knee injury. But... It's difficult to see past, you know, Punk Rollins at Mania, especially when that that kettle's been boiling since the end of Survivor Series War Games. But there's no reason to say they can't have like a a Drew Punk match at Elimination Chamber or at least an interaction between the two of them that will really sort of build on that stare down that they had. Well, they'll definitely Mm -hmm. face him. I mean, that'll be the the main Chamber match for who's going to face Seth. But I think they two at Mania would tear the house down. But I think it's most likely going to be Seth Punk. But I really would love to see Drew Punk go at it. And Gunther and Seth would be also money again. It would probably see that. I mean, I think all four of them, you can combine them any way you want. They are potential phenomenal matches regardless. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. Um, Gunther for the second year in a row, eliminated by Cody Rhodes. Um, I don't think, I, I mentioned this, um, that I think Gunther will be involved in a multi-person match at Mania. I think they'll do some sort of ladder match. It's how they get the belt off him. Mm-hmm. And then I think you keep something back because WrestleMania, so many things are going to happen. I think Gunther's first pinfall loss, although it'd be amazing to see it at Mania, I think WWE have got in the habit of doing all these big things at WrestleMania and making B pay-per-views very missable because nothing happens at them. I think if you hold back Gunther's first pinfall loss until the month after WrestleMania, it makes the person that won the champion, it legitimises them straight away. And it's it, it does Gunther no harm losing one match via pinfall. I think he's set up to be Cody's first title defence, um, just with the fact that two years in a row, he's eliminated him from the Rumble. He's stopped him going to WrestleMania. So I think that's, that's the storyline there. But um, I do enjoy when a Rumble comes down to the final two. And it's the favourites. It's the favourites to win it because you you know in your heart of hearts, like if much as we love our truth and we spoke about how much we loved them, if we got to the final two and it was him and Cody, no one bar Kwaku Aji would have thought our truth. <laughs> um, you know, almost getting to the final two. Oh, how's anyone going to eliminate the giant? They'll find a way, you know. But this stare down with uh, Punk and Cody. I thought this was great. I thought this was... I liked the back and forth. I liked the the both guys hitting their finishers, but just being too exhausted to throw each other out. And then eventually CM Punk letting the mask slip a wee bit. I didn't come back to lose to Dusty's kid, only for Dusty's kid to throw him out on his arse and win the first man in over 25 years to go back-to-back at the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Cody Rhodes winning his second Rumble, joining the likes of Edge, Triple H, Batista, John Cena, Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold Steve Austin eh, and Brock Lesnar as two-time Royal Rumble winners. And I also like how they didn't mess around after it. They did the, the point, it didn't point to sign, he pointed to the champion. We know we're going to get Cody and Roman and it stops any talk of anything else on the road to WrestleMania. Yeah. Like, this is the money match I think people want to be rectified from last year. What they've effectively did was, he says, yeah, we're getting Roman Cody too. We're not going to get Roman Rock. Let's just put everything else to bed and put all our focus on Cody finally finishing the story. And I'm really pleased that they did did that because it just killed any speculation about what might or might not happen. And it leaves the Seth Rollins title match feud open for deliberation. I mean, sure, some of us will say Punk should have it because, you know, the interaction between them two, you could cut the tension with a knife. Then there's the outside factors like Gunther, Drew, etc. All these guys have a can lay claim to a title match with Rollins, but at least that's what the Elimination Chamber's for. So I'm glad that they, they killed all the speculation about, you know, what the, the WWE title match was going to be. Alan, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, if I can agree with David, um, it was good, obviously, that he's pointed to Roman, which we expected. Um, 
no, I think just thinking about what obviously Davy saying, I think and thinking about who's available for Raw when it comes to you know the World Heavyweight Title match. Obviously, I was saying I'd love to see Punk versus McIntyre, but I was saying all four could work well. I think if Punk wins, Drew is possibly going to be the person that takes the title off of Gunther. I think he'll do it at Mania um, because he's lost him twice. And I think this could be the one he goes the third time lucky he gets it. So it could go that way. Um, but it's, it's, it is interesting to see where they're going to go. That's, I mean, that's part of the thing we love about this being wrestling fans is the speculation of who's going to fight who WrestleMania and the run up to it. Um, I just feel the Elimination Chamber, off the line to that question for the World Heavyweight title, but I feel the rest of it is a complete waste. It's just going to be a big giant house show. I just don't feel it's going to actually add anything to Mania, other than some of the things I've already previously discussed. But we'll wait and see. I mean, I would say Trips hasn't called many shots wrong. Um, I hope he doesn't with, again this, but I do feel if Roman does go over Cody, they're really leaving themselves in trouble because they're just going to make Roman so strong that it's, it's going to become so stale to try and get him to drop the title. Um, and it, it just worries me that they're going to do that. And as I said like in our chats, Previously, I'd like to do Roman to do a double duty mania. Night one, lose the Rock for the head of the title, head of the table title. Night two, because Cody's seen how to beat him, Cody beats him for the title. Because to me, I, I get one match loss, it's shocking. But see all the major heels over the years when they do lose, it's a, a, a seismic movement. It's not one thing; it's a collaboration of things before they end up losing and dropping it. That's my personal dream view of how it should go. Because I just don't think Roman should go over Rock. Um, but yeah, that's just my thoughts on it. Yeah, um, if he's if Cody doesn't win at WrestleMania and it's just Roman winning again, I'm sorry. I, I know we kept Cody going for another year and we kept him over and the Brock feud was great and he did some good stuff with Dom and he's been in war games and he's had a tag title run and couple of good matches with the Judgment Day and what have you, but if Cody doesn't win, it's done from there. He's never going to be at this peak again because we all thought last year at Mania, he's hit his peak. He's went even higher. You, you saw him in the press conference how he dealt with some difficult questions last night. He's a, he's an asset to that company, to no doubt. And while we've kept him interesting, the Roman title run had reached its peak and for me, it, it needs to happen at WrestleMania because Cody will never be at that over again and it has ran its course with Roman. There is no further road to go down. It's done. Um, but yeah, for, for me, I think it'll be interesting to see if it's Becky Rhea or if it's someone else against Rhea at WrestleMania because obviously that's not set in stone yet. It'll be interesting to see who goes for the world title. I would... I wouldn't be against, and I know obviously he's up against it because of the poor booking in the Rumble, Sami Zayn going up against Seth, and then if Sami wins, gets the big emotional win, and Priest cashes in on him, because it instantly turns Sami Zayn into your biggest babyface since Daniel Bryan, it lets Seth Rollins go away, and it lets uh, Damien Priest get a run with the belt. Um, and I would like if Punk and Drew went away and did their thing, because I think 
there's so many big matches that don't need a title. Punk and Drew is one of them. But David, obviously, you'll be joining us almost uh, bi-weekly here on Central, so I'm sure we'll get your thoughts on the road to WrestleMania as it unfolds. But and I'll be happy to share them as they go along because <laughs> Road to WrestleMania is definitely the most talked about time in the WWE calendar, and I'm looking forward to see where they go from there. Unfortunately, I won't be here to watch WrestleMania as I'll be away on holiday at the time, but I'll be happy to throw my two cents in any way I can. Oh, you call yourself a wrestling fan having a life outside of it. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> can I just also say, guys, I don't know if you've seen the time recording, Bailey looks like she's already called it Rhea Ripley for WrestleMania. That was seven hours ago on Twitter. I'm taking that with a massive pinch so, of salt. Triple, just retweeted Triple H's tweet, the picture of the two of them, talking about how she set a record the second time with 63 minutes, three seconds. Now Philadelphia's calling, blah, blah, blah. And she's retweeted, saying, I beat Rhea Ripley's record. Now I'm ready to beat her at WrestleMania 40. Oh, so that'll be... that could be a complete spanner in the works with Becky and everything. Just saying. That could be interesting to see. Hey, uh, who knows? You know, someone. I, else. I think that's a red herring. I, I think I, they're I, trying to they're trying to I think they're trying to move us away from the damage control dissension angle, and I think Bailey might change her mind somewhere down the line. I think it's a red herring as well, but you know, you could always have someone else beat Eo. And then EO turns on Bailey because Bailey's got the title. You know, it's it, but hey, but there's a million and one things. You know, we're talking about Jimmy and Jay possibly being together. You could get Jay and The Rock against Solo and Jimmy. You know, you just there's so many things up in the air in the moment. It's always I will say what I said to David, I believe it was you that did the was it you that did the Royal Rumble with me last year? I believe so, yeah. And I said to you, and I'll say it again here, it's nice to be reviewing a Royal Rumble where, although the Royal Rumble wasn't a classic, we're on a road to WrestleMania and we know where there's so many potential storylines. And if it goes maybe another way, we're not disappointed because there's so much on offer. Whereas when Chris Anthony Lopez and I reviewed the 2022 Royal Rumble, there was, at time, no plans for the WWE title at WrestleMania. And I said to him, I went, that depresses me. So it's good that we are at a good stage in wrestling. And it's great that there's so many options on the board where it's like, hey, you might not get Drew McIntyre v CM Punk, but you might get Drew McIntyre v Gunther and CM Punk v Seth Rollins. And you're like, I'm okay with that. It's 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 good to have storylines back in the WWE on the road to WrestleMania. Yeah, I'm excited for what they do in the next sort of 10 weeks or so. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we're going to wrap this up uh, because I feel like I've been in the Royal Rumble now. I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, break a sweat you break a sweat nodding. So. Oh, the fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> At Suplex Retweet, massive back catalogue of previews, reviews, interviews, and all the news. You can find us uh, on all good Android podcasting sites. Uh, Android podcasting sites, yes, that's what I said. <laughs> Spotify and iTunes, and of course, at Suplex Retweet, if you want to get involved in the conversation. Uh, then you can find us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we are on it. We will be back next week with more stories developing regarding uh, the lawsuits currently pending towards Vince McMahon, the road, uh, sorry, the fallout for the Raw after the Rumble, the road to NXT Vengeance Day, 
and much, much more. But thank you very much, Alan, for joining us. Thank you, mate. It's been great. And David, thank you. I'd say thank you, but you just... Fuck you, now. <laughs> I know, but if it helps, you know, I'm just <laughs> coughing up a storm over here. <laughs> That's my That's karma. Called, that is called karma, and quite frankly, you deserve it. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll speak to you on the road to WrestleMania. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McRobbie. We are the hosts of the monthly show on the Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Seek Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.